It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode involves the discussion of the murders of two young girls. Today we're going to talk about the controversy around the two police sketches released in the Delphi murders. To recap, on February 13, 2017, Libby German and Abigail Williams walked across the Monon High Bridge in Delphi, Indiana. Libby even posted an image of Abby making her way along it. A few minutes later they ran into someone. A man. Libby recorded at least a portion of the encounter but only a few moments of it have been publicly released. The man calls them guys and tells them to go down the hill. We don't
don't know exactly what happened next, but police believe that the person you just heard on that snippet of audio killed Libby and Abby. Authorities released grainy images of the man taken from Libby's phone. They also shared two different sketches that are supposed to show what their person of interest looked like that day. We're going to talk more about those sketches later. There's a lot in this case that authorities have not shared with the public. For instance, we don't know the cause of death for the girls. We don't have conclusive answers on whether there's usable DNA from the killer at this point. Anyone who follows true crime knows that there's a reason investigators don't release a lot of information in an open case. Keeping the facts of a case out of the public sphere can help detectives vet tips and confirm or reject confessions. Leaks can compromise an investigation. But it's been over four years. And so far, all the public has to go on is a blurry assortment of pixels and a muffled voice. And two sketches of two very different looking men. The police say they have good reasons for keeping mum about basic facts. We can't evaluate whether or not their reasons are good. We're not privy to what's going on inside the investigation. And we're not about to bash any organization without knowing all the facts. We can, however, evaluate how the police have conveyed information that they say they want the public to have. On its joint website, the task force on the case, comprising of the Delphi Police Department, the Carroll County Sheriff, and the Indiana State Police, and the FBI, notes that it is asking for your assistance in identifying the suspect in the double homicide. But are those agencies being clear enough with the public to elicit useful tips? We don't think so, and we believe the two sketches are a good case study pointing to what's been going wrong here. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, The Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're the murder sheet, and this is the Delphi murders, the sketches. Before we get into Delphi, let's step back and dive into the topic of police sketches. 
To be more specific, let's talk about four police sketches from two cases that Anya and I have delved into on previous episodes of You Never Can Forget, our ongoing miniseries on the Burgershaft murders. First, there's the story of how the Indiana State Police used sketches to capture a vicious rapist in 1979. If you want to learn more about this case, you can go back and listen to our third episode, You Never Can Forget, The Tank. To recap, a woman we'll call Liz was out catching up with an old friend at a Denny's on the north side of Indianapolis in the early morning of April 1st, 1979. After she and her friend wrapped up their conversation, they said their goodbyes in the parking lot. Liz drove off into the night. Soon, she realized she was being followed. When she pulled over to try and give her pursuers the slip, two men abducted her at gunpoint. She was raped and believed that she was going to be killed. Liz managed to escape her attackers by jumping from the moving car. The initial officers who responded to the call seemed ambivalent about her story, but Tom Davidson of the Indiana State Police believed her. Davidson set the victim up with an artist who produced sketches of the two men. With those sketches in hand, he and his partner, Tom Jarvis, door-knocked at a ton of Castleton businesses, right near the Denny's where the victim had been before her abduction. No one seemed to recognize the two men. No one, that is, until the two detectives happened upon the staff at the bar next to the Denny's. The manager immediately recognized the sketches as two creepy regulars who frequently harassed the female waitstaff. Davidson and Jarvis were able to capture Donald Forrester and his cousin Dale Dawson shortly after that. Speaking to us back in 2019, Davidson credited the sketch artist with helping to solve the rape case. Those two sketches helped to stop a dangerous man and his willing accomplice. They got Donald Forrester off the streets and probably saved lives. But sketches aren't always going to have such positive results. If you're familiar with the Burger Chef case, you've probably already guessed the other two sketches we're about to reference. They're commonly known as the Bearded Man and the Clean Shaven Man. These are the men that teenager George Nichols and his girlfriend say they saw on the night the four victims vanished from the Burger Chef restaurant in Speedway, Indiana. Looking at the sketch, you can see the bearded man has long, dark, slightly wavy hair. He's got big eyebrows, too and a bushy beard and mustache. His eyes are narrowed, and he has a nose that almost looks like it's been broken before. The clean-shaven man seems to have slightly lighter hair that's drawn in an extreme side part. He's got a wide mouth and a long face that narrows into a pointy chin, almost like a triangle. Let me be blunt. These two guys look like a lot of people. Back in the 1970s, beards were in but plenty of men also opted to sport a more clean-cut look. The result is that if you grabbed any two white guys in the 70s off the street, they might look like the sketches. Frankly, if you walked up to any two white dudes in a hip cafe or brewery in Brooklyn in 2021, they might look like the sketches too. Naturally, when police released the sketches, a whole flurry of tips came in. Everyone thought they might know the bearded man or the clean-shaven man. If your violent, long-haired stepdad couldn't account for his whereabouts on the night of the murders, then he might warrant a tip. 
If your weird, narrow-faced coworker seemed to take too much of an interest in the case, maybe you might place an anonymous call. The sketches generated a lot of leads. The case remains unsolved. We still don't know who killed Jane Freed, Ruth Shelton, Danny Davis, and Mark Flemons. That's not to say that the two Burger Chef sketches are poor sketches, or that the artist or police did a bad job. Heck, we don't know who did the murders. The sketches might be dead ringers for all we know. And with their two main crime scenes largely compromised, it's fair to say that the police may have been justified in seeing if releasing the sketches would jog memories. But the fact of the matter is that sketches are not photos. They're potentially useful investigative tools if they get in front of the right people within the right context. In the case of Forrester and Dawson, ISP detectives showed the sketch to the exact right person, the bar manager who was familiar with both suspects. This manager knew that these men were in the area on the night of the rape, and that they were disgusting pervs who made his female co-workers uncomfortable. In the case of Burgerschaft, declaring open season on suspicious white dudes with or without beards was probably just too vague. And so today, whenever anyone touts a suspect as a dead ringer for the bearded man or the clean-shaven man, we can't take it as a slam dunk. Because at the end of the day, it's just a sketch. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. EMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With all that in mind, let's go back to Delphi. To help piece together some of the controversy, we're going to break down a timeline of sorts to give you a sense of how communication about the sketches has changed over time. About five months after the murders, the Journal and Courier reported that Carroll County Sheriff Tol Blasenby said that an FBI sketch artist had drawn up a portrait based on, quote, recent information from a witness. That witness said they saw the suspect around the time of the murders. The Jackson County Tribune came out with an article quoting Lazenby as saying that the witness saw a man walking near Delphi. He declined to comment on where this sighting took place, but said it happened around the time of the murders. Lazenby would also add that the hat in the sketch was a guess on the part of the witness and the artist, and that it might not be a perfectly accurate detail. On Monday, July 17, 2017, that first sketch was released. The sketch was an artist composite depicting a white man with a big nose, facial hair, reddish-brown hair, and dark eyes of an undetermined color. He looked to be anywhere from his 40s to his 50s. At CrimeCon in 2018, First Sergeant Jerry Holman of the ISP hinted that there was more than one sketch. He said that sketches had been drawn up of plenty of people who'd been out searching for the girls that day in February. He even specifically mentioned that Mike Patty had been the subject of such a sketch and that it could take weeks to create a sketch. Mike Patty, to be clear, is the grandfather of Libby German, and he was out on the trail that day the girls disappeared, frantically searching for his granddaughter and her friend. So, because of that first sketch, anyone following the Delphi case would know to be on the lookout for an older man. But that, of course, would change completely on April 22, 2019, the day of the press conference. After a cryptic announcement indicating that the agency was taking the case in a, quote, new direction, ISP called a press conference to unveil new information. A slightly longer video of the suspect moving along the bridge was released, along with an additional word spoken by the suspect, guys down the hill. We'll play that audio for you here again. But the truly explosive revelation came in the form of the new sketch. Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter announced that the old sketch, the older looking guy, would now be considered secondary. The new sketch looked nothing like the old sketch. This new sketch depicted a clean-shaven, baby-faced man with a turned-up nose and a head full of wavy hair. The next day, the Indianapolis Star reported that the sketch was based on one witness's account and that it was drawn by Master Trooper Taylor Bryant all the way back on February 17, 2017. We don't definitively know anything about the sighting other than Taylor saying the witness felt they saw something that needed to be reported. On April 24, 2019, authorities put out a press release to try to clarify a few things. It's short, 
So we literally are just going to read that press release so you can get the full picture of what was said. Delphi, Indiana. In the early days and months of the Delphi murder investigation, information was developed about suspect descriptions. It was initially believed the sketch that has been in public view over the last two years of a person in the age range of his 40s to 50s was a person of interest in this murder investigation. Now, as the investigation has matured and past information has been reassessed, it is the belief of investigators with the multi-agency task force that the person depicted in the sketch released on April 22nd more accurately represents the person wanted for the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German. It is important to distinguish these points about the two sketches. They are not the same person. The person depicted in the originally released sketch is not presently a person of interest in this investigation. The sketch released on April 22nd is representative of the face of the person captured in the video on Liberty German's cell phone as he was walking on the high bridge. The person in the sketch released April 22nd is described as having a youthful appearance, but could fall in the age range from his 20s to late 30s. This person's appearance could look different today if he has grown a mustache, beard, or let his hair grow longer, or cut his hair shorter than depicted in the sketch. Members of the Delphi community should reflect back on people they know in the community that look similar to the sketch released on April 22nd, especially if that person has changed their appearance since the murders occurred in February of 2017. And there was also discussion around the new direction in outside media. On the 122nd episode of the podcast Best Case, Worst Case, which aired on April 26, 2019, Former FBI agent Jim Clemente said that the man in the first sketch was already identified, arrested, and cleared. We figured it might be relevant to drop that claim into our timeline, given that he probably has decent sources among his fellow colleagues at the Bureau. Seems pretty straightforward, right? The two sketches are not the same people. The person in the first sketch isn't a person of interest. We can all move on from the sketch of the older man to the sketch of the younger man, right? Well, no. That's not what happened. From here on out, things devolved into confusion. On the one hand, we have individuals close to the case saying that both sketches may still be relevant. On the other, we have the idea that the man from the first sketch has been identified and cleared. On November 18, 2019, Indiana State Police Sergeant Kim Riley spoke with true crime YouTuber Jim Wagoner about the new sketch. We are not disregarding either sketch, Riley said. We're looking more towards the second sketch that was put out on the 22nd of April of this year. We're not saying that the first sketch, there may be something there also. Now that's a step back from saying the man in the first sketch isn't a person of interest. Then Kelsey German, Libby's sister, tweeted on November 22nd, 2019, reminding her followers that a sketch is not a photograph. She wrote that the person who killed Abby and Libby would likely look like both sketches and implored the public to not forget that first sketch. She forwarded the theory that the killer might be a man who looked like a mix of both sketches. In March 2020, Superintendent Doug Carter made a rather odd comment on the true crime website Crime Lights. 
I also believe very strongly that the sketches we have obviously are not photographs. They are what a person remembers. And I believe that when an arrest is made, and I still think that will happen, that we'll be able to lay those two sketches over one another and remove them and find the face of the killer. That almost seems to bolster the idea that the two sketches could depict the same person. In an interview with true crime YouTuber Jason Herbert on September 30th, 2020, Abby's mom, Anna Williams, said, The basic answer that we have is what we were told when we were brought in to see the second sketch is, We've run this first sketch. We feel like we know who this person might be, or we've cleared up this particular person, and now we're going to look back at another person that other people also noticed might have been there that day, and now we'd like to talk to that person. To be clear, we're not blaming any of the victim's family members or loved ones for any confusion. They are all people dealing with a heartbreaking situation, the loss of two young girls. They have been thrust into the spotlight and forced to act as public spokespersons and advocates for those they lost. But we confess we have less sympathy for the police. These are professionals tasked with investigating major cases. Communicating clearly with the public is a part of that process. And frankly, it's baffling to think how things could have gotten so confused here. We'll also note that we asked the ISP to provide comment for this episode and we told them what we'd be saying. We even offered to speak off the record or on background. That's journalism speak respectively for a private talk that can't be used at all or a conversation that could be anonymously cited. They didn't get back to us. Here is what we sent them. Hope this email finds you well. We produce The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast, and we plan to do an upcoming episode dealing with the Delphi case. In particular, how some people have argued that inconsistent and confusing communications from the ISP have impeded public understanding. In particular, we are focusing on the issue of the sketches. In interviews, family members of the victims have stated that they were told that the person depicted in the first sketch was identified and is no longer a person of interest. Superintendent Doug Carter has stated that he believes both sketches depict the same person. We'd like to clarify the truth in our episode. Are the sketches different people? If so, were they working together to commit the crime, or has one been cleared? Are they two views of the same man? Would it be possible for us to have some communication with the ISP that would clarify this issue once and for all? Our preference would be to have an on-the-record audio interview with an ISP representative who is qualified to speak to this matter. But if that is not possible... It would also be helpful to have on-the-record written responses to interview questions we would provide, or even an off-the-record conversation with a representative of the ISP. Would any of these things be possible? We certainly understand that there is much more that the ISP cannot divulge about this case publicly. But we feel it would help public understanding of the case to have some clear answers on the sketches, which, after all, the ISP released as a tool to solve the crime. When it comes to this issue, we'd prefer to use our show to clarify and educate, rather than critique. To do that, we need more in-depth answers from the ISP regarding the sketches and what they mean. And again, they failed to reply. We have a lot of thoughts on all of this, so right now we're going to take a break from our usual programming 
to briefly go off script and talk about this situation. I think we'll start things off here by just reiterating that we do not have sources within the investigation. We do not know what is going on within the Delphi investigation. And I think my instinct is always to be very cautious when we are talking about, uh, you know, potentially critiquing a law enforcement agency that is tasked with looking into a complicated crime like this. Because my feeling is there could be stuff going on behind the scenes that perfectly explains everything that's going on right now. Yes, it's entirely possible that they have an excellent reason for not releasing cause of death or some of the other details. It's hard. It's harder to imagine a good reason for allowing things like the confusion about the sketches to go unclarified. Yeah, I mean, my 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 like rationalization brain would love to think that the FBI told ISP and the local law enforcement to basically like cloud the waters somehow like that will help but i mean it's been four years i i don't think that's what's happening here it seems unlikely so um you know i i think that when you're when you're asking the public for help when you're saying we need the public to identify this man it's incumbent upon you to communicate clearly with the public about what exactly you're looking for and in this case i mean you have people putting doing side by sides which is always a bad idea to be clear don't do that don't put side by sides with the um sketches and, and photos that's not good <laughs> um but you you have people doing that you have people trying to fit potential suspects into looking like both sketches and to me it just feels like i mean we've been it just feels like a waste of time it feels like we don't even know what we're really looking for at this point um there's been so much talking over one another from from reps in in the in law enforcement and that you know you're hearing different things from family members and I, I just I don't know I don't know why some of the law enforcement agencies in this case don't have like a dedicated spokesperson who talks about everything. You know, why are they putting this on the families to be spokespeople? Why are they why are they having Doug Carter go out and do interviews where he's saying confusing things? Where where's the street like you need you need to have one guy who is your guy, your point person. And he is the person for the media to talk to, and he knows what not to say, and he knows what to say, and that's where you're getting your information. Because this is just, this is ridiculous in my opinion. I'm not sure I understand why Superintendent Doug Carter is out there as the de facto public spokesperson about the case. Typically, the police officers who know the most about the case are the ones who are actually out there working it. Doug Carter is an administrator. He's not out there actively working the case to the best of my knowledge. And it feels like the people who were investigating the case made it pretty clear in that statement we read back from April 2019 that the sketches were of two different people. And then suddenly Doug Carter in some interviews started saying, well, maybe it's the same person just seen in different ways. And perhaps people are reluctant to criticize uh, their boss and say, no, Doug Carter has it wrong. I don't know. For whatever reason, it appears to me that Doug Carter, who may not be as informed as his investigators, has muddied the waters here and made it more difficult to understand what the actual facts are. And let's just say for a second that, like, let's, I agree with you, but let's entertain the notion that Doug Carter is actually right and they actually do need to keep the sketch on, the, the both sketches on, just for some reason they have an inkling that that is the right way to go. Then they should be communicating that with the public, okay? Because it just looks like a big gobbledygook mess to everybody else who's outside of this. 
And yes. we don't know what we're looking for. Are we looking for an older man? Are we looking for a younger man? Are we looking for a man who's a combination between an older and a younger man? Are we looking for an older and a younger man who work together? I don't know. We don't know. No one knows what they're looking for. And frankly, this feels like a case where, I mean, I, I hope to God that they solve this thing because those families deserve justice. Those girls deserve justice. That community deserves justice. So I really hope I'm wrong here. I really do. But it feels like maybe releasing the sketches like they did hurt things, confuse things. Because instead of people in the community thinking, well, I have a I have a friend who was acting really weird around that time. But, you know, he looked way younger than that sketch. So I doubt it was him. Or uh, my husband and I broke up and then he kind of went away for a few days and came back all amped up. You know, like... You're, maybe people would have been looking more for behavior instead of a specific look. And when you're talking about a heinous, high-profile murder, when people are maybe seeing a sketch that doesn't match their idea of their the person they know, maybe they're looking for reasons to not get involved, and maybe they just don't get involved then. That's what my fear is. Uh, and we mean what we say. We can't criticize the parts of the investigation that we can't see and that we don't have information about. But when the part of the investigation that we can see and do have information about is handled so poorly, it does not really inspire a lot of confidence in that which we cannot see. Yeah, and we, I mean, it's been four years. No one has been arrested. They do not have an identified person to say that this is our suspect. This is our person of interest. This is his name. And I would love to fantasize that the ISP and the FBI and all the local law enforcement are getting together right now and, and, you know, drafting up arrest warrants for a person. But I mean, until that happens, it, it feels like questions need to be asked about how this has been handled. And as Kevin said, if the, the part, the only part that we can see is this appears to be mismanaged to this degree, then that is troubling. That is really troubling to me. I, I don't I don't know I don't know what the heck they're doing with these two sketches, but basically the sketches cancel each other out because I mean, I, I you know you could do your little software and combine them or whatever, and I, I it just ultimately it just means nothing. You're just looking for a white dude who's an adult. Okay, let's get back to the script. If the ISP is serious about receiving the public's help in this case, that is to say that they don't have some suspect locked up in jail that they're 99% sure of, but just can't charge yet, then clear communication is key. Here's another example of what I'm talking about. ISP released a statement saying they don't want any more investigative tips. We think that's cop speak for don't tell us to check the cell phone records or consult with psychics. Just let us do our jobs. We don't take that to mean that they don't want tips in general, tips about potential suspects. But language matters. The way you talk about the sketches, about the things citizens should be looking out for, about the case in general, that all matters. And if the words that you use to convey your public appeals only serve to confuse the public, then that's about as useful as a pencil sketch that's been smudged and scribbled over with indelible marker. Anyone with information about these murders is strongly encouraged to send tips to this email address. Abby and Libby Tip at C-A-C-O-S-H-R-F dot com. 
information sent by email is kept confidential and is only shared with investigators. The telephone tip line is 844-459-5786. Tips are also accepted by the Indiana State Police at 800-382-7537 or by the Carroll County Sheriff's Department at 765 564 2413. In this episode, we cited work from the Journal and Courier, the Indianapolis Star, the Jackson County Tribune, Jim Wagoner, Jason Herbert, and Crime Lights. Each of these outlets put out substantive interviews related to the case, and we will link to each in our show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.